Well, Rock I don't get Hope to- Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. In a typical teachmetotalk.com fashion, we had a technological fiasco for the last 10 minutes or so. I unplugged a fan, and it shut down our whole uh, office internet, and then I had trouble kind of getting back in, and poor Monet, who's our guest today, is sitting waiting there patiently, and then the music didn't cue, but that's blog talk radio, so... Woohoo! The summer hiatus is over and it's Monday and all those things that need to come together are going to finally come together so that we can have a good, good, good show today. So I'm so happy you've joined us and Monet, thank you so much for holding and sticking in there with what probably was kind of a confusing time since I didn't get on immediately with you. Yeah, that's okay. I just, I was listening to your music and uh, I figured that it would all work out and it did. (laughs) So I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Let me just kind of back up for a second and say today is show number 266 and we're going to be talking about tips for treating small groups of young children with autism. And let me kind of do a background for this show. I met a sweet speech pathologist, um, Several years ago now, who when I was teaching a course in Georgia, had lunch with her because I recognized her name from she had ordered like one product at a time, and I I do shipping a lot, and so I kind of had that's kind of my spectrumy thing. I remember names, and so when she registered for the course, I remembered her name, and then I met her, and I think I'm pretty sure I had lunch with her because we talked for a long time, and. She sent me an email back in June, and this is what it said. It said, I started to work in the schools this year and work with an amazing speech therapist. She's taught me so much about working with autistic children, especially in a small group setting. This has always been a challenge for me, but she has a true gift. She has authored and designed an entire series of interactive books and uses them so beautifully in small group lessons to target so many language goals. She has an amazing way of including imitation and receptive targets in her group sessions. I told her about the work that you do, you know, and then she goes on and on. She said, I also thought that you, she would be an amazing guest on your podcast to explain how she's able to target language goals in a group setting and how she's able to work with children on so many levels at once since this is an area of difficulty for many of us. And no truer words were spoken. <laughs> so I want to thank <laughs> Trish sending me that email and introducing me to you, Monet, and your uh, I just can't wait to hear about your strategies and all of your tips for us. Mm-hmm. So why don't you kind of go ahead and give us a background on you and what you do. And I have forgotten your last name. I don't know. I, you'll probably need to pronounce that instead well, of me. And so kind of tell yeah, us about my my last name is a tongue twister. It's uh, I like to tell people to say it two syllables at a time. It's Maruyama, and um, okay. so. I go by Miss M with my students because it's really hard for them to pronounce that. So um makes it a little bit easier because it is such a tongue twister. But um, the, my background is um, I've been working as a speech therapist in the school districts. And um, I um, my passion is autism. I immediately knew that. And uh, I started working with the kids program. And they're uh, ages 
three to seven years old. And um, it, you can have a, a huge range, um, you know, only between the ages of three and seven, but on the spectrum between the lower functioning and the higher functioning kids. So um, I'm a mom of five and wow. um, my own my own kids um, always love to read. And we had a huge library in my home of children's books. And, and I thought, you know, Oh, I can use some of these books with my, uh, with my students. And, and nothing was really working as well as I had hoped to really draw at the language um, from the kids. And so one day about six years ago, I decided I'm going to write my own little book. And that's sort of where it started. And the kids just, really were receptive to the books and and it just sort of snowballed like a little grassroots thing and um I started posting them for um the 350 speech pads in my department and I got a a huge um positive response um people telling me how the books work so well with their students and that's really pretty much how it started so that is an awesome story, and I think it's really, really inspiring for therapists who are listening, speech-language pathologists, and then we have a big following of developmental therapists, early intervention specialists, whatever you want to call them, whatever they call the teacher people component in every mm-hmm. We're all educators. <laughs> okay. And I think it's inspiring to... Any professional who can hear, I took my little idea and I taught other people how to do it and it works pretty darn well for them too. And I think that's how lots of us who have websites and who've written books and who've, you know, done whatever little project or niche our our thing happens to be, I think that's that's so important to share with other people that if you have a budding idea, don't sit on it. Get a way to get it out there um, and and make that happen because I think any therapist, no matter what age group we're working with, whether you're in early intervention or in a school setting like even preschoolers and even above, we all need to be able to take ideas from other people and it shortens that learning Yeah, when somebody else has done the hard work and when somebody else has Mm -hmm. figured out, this is the better way to say it. This is what I learned from my experience. Uh, so I think that's just fantastic. So I'm so glad that you shared that, how it all, that your idea's inception, how it kind of came to be and how you thought, hmm, maybe I can use this for other people too. So that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about kind of the theory behind what you put into developing your books. What are some of the things that you were thinking about as or as how you were going to tie in your goals and what you know works to teach children to have difficulty understanding and using language. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I found was, um, especially with working with kids with uh, autism, was that the busyness of some of the books that I was originally using seemed to be more of a distraction. And I found that um, having these interactive books where there were pieces that were attached to them and the um, the kids could come up, they could um, match the pieces, they could, um, it was something for them to hold. Um, they were interacting while the book was being read. I found that that was really helpful. I also found that not having um, a lot of color, like 
um, the books are very bright and colorful, but the backgrounds are very simple and plain and white. And I found that not having, yeah. And I I just found that having um, more of a simple um, approach to the books was something that the kids really were attracted to. And it made, like, if we were focusing on vocabulary, which is, you know, a lot of what we're focusing on with these kids, um, I found that having the books simple like that was actually an opportunity for me to focus not only on the vocabulary of the book, but the questions that you can, like, pull out of all of that vocabulary, all of those WH questions, um, the yes-no questions, the spatial concepts, just everything, um, you know, having them um, talk about identifying different, you know, parts of any of the pictures, um, just so many different things. And I was finding that the kids were, I was getting language out of them, so surprising to me that um, it, it was just, it was really nice to see. I love that, and I think any time that we can help a kid with any kind of challenge learning language, learn how to filter out what's not important (laughs) is something Mm -hmm. that we should try to do because our kids who are on the spectrum really can get lost in a little um, detail because they have a hard time relating to the whole, and so they can, that's why they like wheels on a car or wheels on Thomas's train. They may not even really perceive the whole train. They're just fixated mm-hmm. on that little wheel. And so sometimes when we're using a more traditional book, I've found that too, and I'm sure our listeners have as well, that you're really trying to get them to focus on one part of the picture that's what you're trying to teach them, whatever the particular picture represents, whether it's you know some vocabulary concept or just whatever you're working on. But they're looking at another part of the page. <laughs> and so you can't exactly. even really shift their attention. And there's no hope of meeting your goal and getting them to process what you're talking about if they're fixated on some other detail. So I love how simple the books look. And I think that's a really important part for therapists to explain to parents. Because sometimes I think parents can look at our materials and say, why is she using that? Or that, you know, I would never have picked that. Why isn't she just sticking with more of a textbook or, again, a traditional book? But they don't really understand all of those decisions that we've made that tell us your child is going to do better if we modify this material. So I think that's a Mm -hmm. super us to remember to share with parents. And I, I think sometimes even teachers don't really understand that. Do you find that too? I absolutely find that. Um, and and one of the things that I found too is just the feedback that I've gotten from other speech paths and teachers. Um, a lot of times I'll work the summer school program. So I'm working with all new teachers and and all new students. And um, I will, I'll have teachers um, sit there and say, where did you get those books? And, oh, my gosh, they're really working. And, um, and you know, obviously it makes me feel good to hear that, but the bottom line is they really do work. And the kids are just mesmerized. I, I can have a brand-new group of eight or nine students that are not my normal students um, during the regular school year, 
And Mm -hmm. within the first or second um, therapy session, they are focused on everything I'm doing. And and I like to keep things really fun. I know that you like to do that too. And I think when when we were introduced by um, Tricia, one of the things that I said was, oh, she reminds me of me (laughs) because (laughs) I'm the same way. I like to, you know, get down on the floor, get on the kids' levels. Um, If you don't connect with the kids first, um, you're not going to be able to forget it thing. And yeah, just forget yeah. it. If you and can't so make that initial connection. Right. Yeah. And th- that's my style. And a lot of other things, um, during the, the lessons too, um, I, I use a lot of puppets and I don't use them for very long. Usually it's only for the first, maybe five minutes of, of a 45 minute group. Um, uh-huh. and it's just to, um, sort of get the kids to get settled into their seats and, and get ready for, you know, what we're going to do during that, um, session. And that right. is a great way. I, I find that puppets work really well to, um, a lot of the kids on the spectrum that maybe don't want to make that eye contact will make it with a puppet. Um, and so That's what I was about to say, it's a little less intimidating and you've given them something really novel but specific mm-hmm. to look at. And mm-hmm. it's just interesting enough because you can move your hand in all different kinds of ways to attract their mm-hmm. attention and really yeah. draw them in where they tend to kind of, I mean, tune out people. A lot of our earliest oh. learners who are on the spectrum really do that. And so a puppet is a nice, nice way if you can make that work. Mm-hmm. And, and and even during that um, that little part of the session with a puppet, you can get so much language just out of that. You can get receptive language, having them imitate. The puppet might be clapping hands or, or touching his nose. Um, and Or you can have them high five or have them, you know, say what their name is. And then you tell them what the puppet's name is. And just the amount of language you can get out of that. And then that gets them settled in, ready to um, start in on um, the book and, and the concepts that we're going to work on during that. Right. So, so let me ask you this, Monet. Do you use a puppet as kind of your introductory activity for almost every session, especially at the beginning? Almost every session I do, yeah. yeah. I, and so if I'm, if I'm working on, say I'm going to work on a pirate book, um, I'll mm-hmm. use one of my pirate books, I'll have a pirate puppet. Um, okay, or if I'm going to do like a, bu- a bug theme, then I might have like a little ladybug um, or a little butterfly puppet. Um, most of the time, I always start off the first um, few minutes with that puppet, and that really works. And then I always, always throw in uh, one or two really fun songs that get the kids uh-huh. um, really excited and a lot of imitation, um, and, and that that really eases up everyone, and I find the behaviors, they're sort of settled in, and then the learning can start. So, I think that's so important. Let me kind of tease this out. For moms who are listening or for therapists who might be newer, the re- to early intervention, because, I mean, there's a world of difference between someone who's worked with older kids or even younger elementary school age kids and then bumping down to work with preschoolers or toddlers. It should almost be a separate job. Even though we're, we had the same education, uh, educational experience and background, it really takes a whole different skill set. So I want to really highlight what you're doing with those puppets so people kind of get that and they're not just thinking, okay, I'm going to go buy some puppets. The reason that works is because it's routine-based. 
And so the kids learn to expect that, and that, that signals to them, okay, this is my time to come sit over here and pay attention, and I'm this is my time to come on over and drop whatever I've done or whatever I've been playing with and come to this group time. And so the routine of that, of you starting the same way, and I love that you are not using the same exact puppet every single time because that can get boring, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, but the routine about it is what really helps kids uh, again, they know what to what comes next, so they learn what to expect, and then again, you're doing what you can to eliminate the possibility of any of those challenging behaviors because you're making it really, really fun, really holding their attention, and again, they know what comes next because you you keep your routine even though you're changing your materials, and that is really, really important for parents to recognize and for new therapists to kind of think about. And with all toddlers benefit and preschoolers benefit from that routine piece. Mm -hmm. And again, knowing what you're going to do. And your novelty comes with changing up the specific materials and vocabulary and goals and blah, 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 blah. But it's that mm -hmm. context and structure that really, I think, uh, breeds participation and facilitates participation with kids. Absolutely. I, I I see it all the time, so I know it works. And um, and just to let um, some of your um, listeners know, I, I know that um, puppets aren't cheap. <laughs> um, so one of the things, you know, you can start out, out small and get like a small puppet, but one of the things that I did was I, I got, um, I have a lot of puppets, but an easy thing to do is, to just get one puppet, like maybe a boy puppet or a girl puppet, and then you can change, you can actually change their little outfits. Like if you're yeah. working on something at Halloween, you can go, like a lot of times I'll go to Walmart at the end of Halloween when everything's on sale, and I'll go in um, the two-year-old the two year old section and I'll get like a little Halloween costume. Put it on the puppet, it's ready for the next year for Halloween. Um, if you're That's doing a, a fireman um, theme, you can get a little a little plastic fireman's hat and a little you know fireman jacket on sale after Halloween, and that can work for your fireman theme. Um, so you yeah. don't have to go out and buy tons of puppets. So just to let them kind of know that. But um, I think that's a great, great, great tip. We found a lot alike, Mama. We found a lot alike. I can yeah. see my children really thought, really got that connection and tried to hook us up. So that's great. Okay, so. We talked about the routine and, again, what you do at the beginning and why you do it, and you gave us some tips for um, getting that going material-wise. But let's talk a little bit about what you said about music and about imitation. And those are things that I talk about almost every show, every conference, every post, every book I write, because those Two components are huge in, again, building that participation because kids know what to expect and, and you're giving them a reason to pay attention to you and participate. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk about wh whichever one. I just want to be sure we talk about the why music works and what you're doing with imitation and why you feel like that's so successful to draw kids' attention at the beginning. Um, well, one of the things that um, kids love music, um, it's a way to keep them engaged. Um, uh, we use music um, during my therapy sessions, uh, CDs, that some of my favorite um, 70s 
singers and, and, and children's music that I'll use, but I'll also use it where I don't have the best singing voice, but I'll use it with, um, if I'm trying to teach a concept like uh, front, middle, back. And so I'll sing it to, you know, like front, middle, back, front, middle, back, this is the front. Um, and kids just seem to um, remember and they seem to catch on when you use the music um, to try to teach a lot of different concepts. Um, when I'm using uh, a couple of the different songs that I use a lot, um, there's a lot of uh, imitation that goes along with that. Um, but not only are they imitating, they're also learning uh, different concepts such as like big and small, um, loud and and quiet um so they're learning a lot opposites um and it's all through music and like i said the music is probably about another i would say maybe another five minutes of a 45 minute okay. session and then usually maybe five minutes at the end of the session but um okay, great way to keep the behaviors down um kids love it plus it changes everything up no no one wants to sit for, you know, to read a book for 45 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, it's exactly. just, it keeps them and going. It changes everything up. It's unrealistic, even mm -hmm. for kids who are typically developing. And I think we sometimes just forget about that common sense piece when we do a therapy session. And then we complain about behaviors and why kids aren't paying attention. And then we try to, you know, make that like it's, a real pathology when actually we just haven't thought about keeping our treatment plans at a level that's developmentally appropriate for a kid. And so again, if you're a parent who's listening to this, and maybe you're new to the podcast, a therapist shouldn't really be expecting your child to sit for 45 minutes and do the same thing and for that for one activity to hold with, without varying anything about it to hold their attention. And that's just mm -hmm. an unrealistic expectation for any kid, any toddler, any young preschooler, not to even mention the ones who had developmental challenges and sensory issues and all the other things that we see with kids. Mm -hmm. So I love that you're talking about how music really breaks that up. The music really, again, mm -hmm. makes it, um, I, I gives them a different what, a different thing to pay attention to, and it it helps re-alert their little system. So I mm -hmm. love that you talked about that. Um, notice, too, is even if I have a basic routine that I do um, kind of follow every week, the behaviors of the of the kids can change. So they may be all, you know, sitting and, and, and paying attention on a Monday, but on a Wednesday, who knows what happened? Maybe they didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, maybe, you know, lots of different things, especially when we're talking about our little kids on the spectrum. And right. so I might have to change it up and maybe I'll throw in that extra little song or, you know, you just, you have to be able to adapt the lesson. Um, don't ever think of, of, oh, it's a failure. You know, it didn't go well today. If something's not working that day, throw in something else. Uh, a lot of times I have, um, I use an app that the kids, it's a really simple little app where they just imitate sounds. And uh -huh. if there is nothing that can get them glued to um to um to pay attention it's that app and i'll even have non my nonverbal kids that will sit there and start imitating the sounds of that app and um there's 10 little sounds where it'll just be like 
la, 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 la. And for some reason, they just, they, they want to do it. They want to try to produce it, even if it's just an approximation. Um, You know, so you got to throw things in. It's not always going to be, they're not always the same. So you can't always be the same. So. Exactly. Okay. So give us some of your, I know you said you make up a lot of little songs to think about to, to, you know, go along with whatever content you're teaching. But when you sent me your um, information and your attachments, you included a list of some DVDs, I think, or I'm sorry, some CDs that you use. Uh, Tell us what your favorite music is. Oh, my goodness. I, I am so passionate about I found um, Simple Songs which is from Super Simple Learning about uh, seven years ago and originally it was um, when I found it it was a a little company that was teaching Japanese students how to speak English and I I just accidentally somehow found this and I said oh my goodness this is perfect for my kids in the kids program, the special K, um, the early childhood, and um, started using it, and it w- immediately was a ginormous hit. So um, they have lots of CDs. You can go on there on their website, Super Simple Learning, and you can okay. um, actually listen to most of the songs. Um, okay. And some of my, just I can't even. I get so excited. I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> Tell, just trying to explain how great this um, CD is, um, and they have. So they are they have repetitive? Like, are are they repetitive, Monet? Uh, is that why you like them? Some of them are repetitive, um, and just they they really teach a lot of different concepts. Um, just I, they're really great songs. Um, and then I also love her name's Lori Berkner. Um, yeah. And she's got some fantastic songs. Um, she's got one that's um, it's a rocket ship song. And it's when I use it with my kids, the teachers will tell me for the rest of the day, the teachers are humming that song. The students are like <laughs> responding to the song. It's one of those ones that you just can't get out of your head and works perfect with my outer space book. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyhow, yeah, great, great um, uh, songs. Those are probably a couple of my favorites. So, okay, and then I think you have another but, one um, listed, Make a Sound and Move Around. Tell us about that one. Oh, yeah, that's also a really good one. Um, there are um, several songs on there that I use, um, and I think um, a speech um, pathologist uh, developed that. It's called Sound Around, and mm-hmm. um, really, really uh, make a sound and move around. Great, great um CD for getting kids to imitate, um, to follow directions, just a, a list of things that, um, and the, and the kids really respond to that as well. So, um, okay. like I said, music is super important and the kids love it. And, and you get, you get a lot of receptive language, expressive language out of music. And I think so, too. And again, the whole, when you're having kids follow directions, that receptive piece, but when they start imitating your actions, that's a huge precursor to talking. And lots of Mm -hmm. parents don't 
know that that's connected. And sometimes the speech language pathologist, we don't do a good enough job of explaining that connection that before a child can imitate a sound, he has to be able to imitate movements. And a lot of times kids don't understand how to imitate movements with their bodies, so you almost have to trick them into doing it, <laughs> whether it's mm -hmm. by using yeah. toys and teaching them how to do an action with a toy or by doing an action with a song or a game. So it's a really fun way. And it's a lot more um, fun and even functional than, uh, and I don't want to slam our ABA friends who are listening or, or any to even think that I'm being derogatory about that, but it's a lot more functional from a language perspective for you to be able to say, clap your hands or do it as a part of a song or a game rather than just having them imitate you for imitation's sake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they might do during a more structured ABA section, uh, ABA session. So I think it's a super, super way to do it. But again, as therapists, we have to explain to parents why we're doing it that way. Or if a kid learns how to do imitation that way in an ABA session, or even with you when it's super structured, then we have to move that skill out. And therapists call that generalization. We have to help a kid mm -hmm. learn he can copy those movements and actions and that that's super fun and we're all doing it together in a little peer group or even one-on-one. -on -one. And again, that's a real important prerequisite to talking that sometimes parents don't get. They may look at a therapist and say, I don't understand why you're working on having him clap his hands or touch his nose or whatever else you're doing mm -hmm. without, unless you really explain that connection, they don't get it. So I think it's yeah. a huge thing to set up. And, and, you know, even with just having the kids um, imitate those kinds of things, you can also draw out a lot of uh, expressive language with that. Um, sometimes I'll have my students, someone will be imitating something, and then I'll ask another student, who was clapping their hands or who was touching their head? So that student has to be paying attention to another student and yeah. then they have to respond to my question. So just because we think it's just it's music and they're imitating, there's there's so much more that that can be pulled out of them. And um, exactly. I I just I just love to try to get everything out of it that I can. So me too. And I love it when one activity works to target ten goals, don't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's my favorite, and especially with when we're talking about little guys on the spectrum, which if I understood you correctly, that's mostly what a lot of your work is, little guys who are in your special program for kids with autism. Peer interaction and social attention is so hard. And so to be able to expect a little guy who's on the spectrum to know how to engage another one of his little friends who's also on the spectrum, that really doesn't start, you know, as they're playing the blocks together a lot of time or or another little even parallel play activity you have to have an adult get in there and really facilitate that and really um, set the stage to make that happen and so your example then was beautiful of helping one preschooler learn to attend to his little friends and include them um, in an activity like circle time or music time because you're giving them a reason to pay attention to other kids. So I just, I love it. I mm -hmm. love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, All right. So and, we talked about the first 10 minutes. We better get busy talking about the rest of <laughs> what comes okay. next in your session. You had your puppet and then you had about five minutes of music time 
And so what mm-hmm. comes next? So typically after that, um, if I'm doing, I'm going to just use an example. So say I'm, I'm working on, um, it's the beginning of the school and I'm going to use a back to school book that, that I wrote. Um, so what I might do is I'll have like a Velcro board and I might have um, like a large yellow bus that'll have space for each of the kids to put one of their pictures on one of the windows in the bus. Um, okay. And that's, that's sort of like an activity where uh, they'll come up and they'll have to um, have their picture and then we'll, we'll sing a little song like um, John is here today. John is here today. Let's all shout. Hooray. John is here today. Then they'll put their picture on the bus and I'll be asking them, you know, are you going to put your picture in the front of the bus, in the middle of the bus or in the back of the bus? Um, Uh And, uh, and then, I might ask another student, oh, where did John put that, his picture? Um, lots of different things. For the kids who are, you know, have more significant delays, um, just the fact that, that, you know, they can come up, um, you know, hold on to that picture and, and follow the direction of putting it on the bus is sometimes that's what their goal is, you know, following exactly. a one-step direction. Um, exactly. So, so lot- that's, I love that you're talking about that, too, because – Sometimes, again, a parent might hear a show like this and they're hearing you say things like, I asked them where to put their picture in the bus, the front, the middle, or the back. And so a parent thinks, well, that's not appropriate for my child because he's not saying anything. But I love how you're emphasizing that you can work on, work with kids with varying levels of ability and have them do whatever their next little goal is, that's how you'll modify the activity to address, you know, where they are. So you're meeting Mm -hmm. them where they are mentally. And that's huge so that you can take a group activity and still work with every kid at that. And target all the different goals, yeah. Exactly. And on on top of that, even if, even the kids who might be, you know, have more of the language delays than some of the higher functioning kids, those kids are still watching the other kids. So I right. love that whole where they're, you know, it's being modeled. So it, they're, they're absorbing things. Even if we think they're not, they are absorbing things. So, and, oh, I just, I get so excited thinking about it. So. I do too. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you've done a little activity like that where again, it's mm-hmm. super interactive and we've talked about how you're going to merge some of your language goals. I, I looked at your Teachers Pay Teachers website. You, How many books do you have, Monet? How many have you written? I, I've written about 150. Um, right now oh, I have about gosh. 92 up there. <laughs> So I'm in in the process of getting the rest of them up there. I was encouraged for several years by um, many, many speech paths in my department to put them on Teachers Pay Teachers. And um, Uh at the time, I was working on another project with attainment. And so I I sort of never even thought I would do that. And then just recently, I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll, you know, I'll put them up there. And so I'm still in the process of of putting up the the rest of them. But um, at least there's 90, 91 up there right now and big variety of, of choices. So, yeah. Yeah, so. good variety. So but, walk through some of those, walk through some of those titles and tell us why you 
why those are good language books or what how they're related to your goals because they're t didn't you just come up with a book that met whatever specific target you had for your group mhm mm um well and that's the beauty of it because i'm writing my own um books i'm finding that if i have students who have um specific behaviors that i want to target like um maybe some kids put their fingers in their mouth all the time. And, you know, some kids want to put their fingers up their nose and I can write a little book that's going to target those behaviors. And it's so amazing that kids, there's, they're such visual learners that if you, you put something down in a fun little book, it, it's like such a, a visual reminder and, and cue to them that I've had right. kids with really bad behaviors. And all of a sudden you use that book maybe one or two times in, the it it diminishes it's it's um it really has worked really really well um but i i have books that i'll write um so maybe it's the beginning of the year i'll have some back to school books and um one of my favorite holidays is right in september it's um talk like a pirate day so <laughs> I have a series of like four different pirate books um and then you know we move into you know the other different holidays the halloween and a lot of my stuff is very um theme based but wow. um it it will um target so many different goals it'll target you know them being able to um like i said identify the spatial concepts the in the under the you know um next to um Lots of um, some of the books have rhymes in them, and we know that that works really well with kids having those simple little rhymes. Um, a lot of you know, um, let, a lot let of. Me, um, let me let me interrupt you for just a second. I'm so sorry, but talking about themes, and a lot of therapists are reluctant to do this because, first of all, in early intervention, there's a big move not to take materials into homes and. A big push with, you know, just use what the kids have, blah, 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 blah. I think it's so important for us to still give parents new ideas to use with their kids and new ways to target even that same basic vocabulary, like you mentioned, uh, those directional words or prepositions when we're helping kids learn those earliest ones, in, out, you know, on, off, up, down. It is boring to use the same teaching material over and over and over and over for weeks or months at a time. But just thinking about using uh, holiday-based activities or something that would, again, be a different kind of theme, you're still targeting that same vocabulary goal. But again, you're switching up your material. So one, you help a kid generalize. But two, it's just not boring anymore. So I think that's mm -hmm. a huge plug for th helping therapists think about that and think about creative ways they can do that, whether they're in a classroom setting like you are with, you know, you have the luxury of kind of coming up with your own themes and your own materials and stuff, but even therapists who do home visits and are discouraged from uh, taking in what's perceived to be therapy materials per se, there's still a way to take these ideas and teach mm -hmm. parents how to that. And again, you have to explain the benefits. You have to say the reason that it's important for you to encourage moms to look for additional opportunities is that it helps the kid not be so bored and it helps the mom not be so bored. She doesn't feel like she's uh -huh. working on the same old thing. You're giving her different ways exactly. to cause it. I love that. I love it. 
And another thing, I know it's so important when you are going in the home to, to use what's in the environment, but at the same time, the kids are eventually going to be going to school. Um, exactly. So, so it, it's a perfect transition from, you know, they're going to need those other materials. So, and, and the I know, you know, the books that I write, it is so easy for for parents to, to use something like that because it's, you know, not only is it fun, but it, it can target so many different things. And like you said, it doesn't, you don't get bored because if you think about it, we can't, we don't want to get bored ourselves. <laughs> so, exactly. um, you know, we, and we certainly don't want the kids to be bored. So, right. So I love but, um, that. And I love thinking about it. And again, I'm trying to help therapists who are thinking, well, I don't know how relevant these ideas are for me. They're very relevant. And again, I'm making sure that I'm helping people connect the dots with this is why this is important and this is how you talk to a mom about this and this is this is your little script. This is what you say and this is why we're talking about these things and how you can even help um, if you're not even in a setting that's similar to Monet's. These ideas can still be modified and adapted to fit the situation and the particular caseload that you work with. Mm-hmm. And also, um, another thing that I really like about um, some of the things that I do is when I do have the kids who are the, who are either um, have more of the delays or nonverbal, um, you can even use um, some of our assistive tech devices um, with the books to um, adapt it for those students as well or those Let's children as well. About that. Um, so tell us how you would do that, so, Monet. Like I have a little guy who I'm not working with right now because school is starting back. Um, but he's used the GoTalk. So, and I, I think that's one of the ones that you mentioned. You use Big Mac switches, um, mm -hmm. GoTalk, what, what other kinds of light uh -huh. AAC do you um, use? And also um, the Cheap Talk. And my um, assistive tech um, department um, started this and I, you know, ran with it as well. But they were taking my books and they were making the um, the little, uh, the eight the eight squares that you can put inside of a Cheap Talk or a Go Talk. And uh -huh. all you have to do is um, you make, make the little um, overlays and then you can put any voice you want in there. So say if it's a book about animals and maybe you want to, um, you want to have the animal's name in there. So you're going to ask the student, you know, find the cow. Or maybe you might want the, the sound that the cow makes. So you might program it to say moo instead of cow. Um, so many different things you can do with assistive tech devices. And I, I know a lot of people are intimidated by using some of the, um, the assistive tech devices. But honestly, when you get your hands in there and you start using them, you'll see how simple and effective they can be. And really pull in every level of student that you might be working with in a group, you know, on the whole spectrum. So, um, you know, using and even I, the Big Mac as well. Exactly. And I tell therapists, listen, you are not going to know how to do it until you do it. And so order it, practice some, practice with kids who are, um, you think that aren't going to be as, challenging <laughs> when you're learning how to do it yourself, mm -hmm. uh, get in there with, tell moms, hey, this is new for me too, 
And moms don't always expect you to have all the answers. And again, I love that you're pointing out to a therapist, don't be scared to try something you've never done before. And Mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to be a technological genius either. Even if you're sitting there reading through the directions, these devices are so easy and so simple and now so affordable. And so many, many times I've had parents just buy them outright because they see how well they Mm -hmm. worked or we talked about what a good transition this can be and the other benefits, um, you know, it increases attention, it increases the ability for a child to be able to respond so the pressure is off as far as verbalizing and I've had kids move toward (laughs) becoming verbal when they're using an assistive device and again, I think it's because the pressure has reduced and they see that they can do it and it's something that uh, pushing a button is relatively easy for most of our little guys and they get that whole pattern of success and so you build momentum that way. So I I love your advice not to be intimidated by that. And my piece of advice there is just to jump in and do it. If you've never ever used it before, it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it will not work for you. Just get in there and try it. Mm -hmm. And I always like to try to say this because I have – I have speech pads who will come and observe me so they can get ideas and stuff. And a lot of them are, or might be intimidated by doing whole group circles and, and whatnot or autism in general. And um, because I try to explain it like this, you might, there, someone might be a doctor, but they're not going to know how to do every single specialty as a doctor. Um, right. The same thing as a speech path. Some people are going to be really good at maybe um, stuttering and fluency and, some people may be really good at our tech. Um, you know, in general, we're we're pretty good at, at most of it. But then if there's something that isn't your specialty and you feel a little intimidated by it, it's, you know, you want to just try it at least, you know, and you'll see once you start doing stuff, it's not as intimidating as you thought. And it can be so much fun. And then when you see the kids, you know, their, their um, success, then it makes you even more love it. And that's how my passion just took off. <laughs> so, but um, I'm, anyway, I'm a, I do find that a lot of therapists haven't used, who haven't used AAC before, tend to kind of shy away from it. Or they'll say, oh, a parent's not going to like that because they're going to think that I'm saying their kid is never going to talk. Or it's like I'm taking that hope of talking away. I think that's all crap, for lack of a better word. You know, and we have to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the forefront telling parents, that's not true. You know, here's what research tells us. Here's what my experience has been. And even if you haven't had lots of good success stories to share, your colleagues do. And so we have to be able to get in there and explain why those things work and help parents really get comfortable with that or other therapists. And they're not going to get comfortable with it until they've seen it and they've seen it work. So we have to jump in and show them. Mm-hmm. How to... So what are your... Um, what are what are your biggest challenges when you're managing groups, Monet? What give us some of your biggest challenges and how you've your tips for or strategies for addressing those kinds of challenges with kids? Um, well, working with little ones or little ones um, on the spectrum, there's never going to be a perfect day. <laughs> there's always going to be something that's going to you know throw a wrench in something. So um, right. hopefully not a real wrench, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so pretty much um, what I do is I always try to have those A reinforcers, 
you know, a lot of times um, I have a really good team that I work with um, that, you know, the teacher's always on board. um, The two aides are always on board. And so that we have a lot of, you know, if the kids are having a difficult time that day, we might use a lot, a little bit of the extra hand over hand assistance and and all of that. But in general, um, using the token boards, um, they work. They, if you use them, they work. Um, and then have those A reinforcers. And one of the biggest things that I do if I have a, a kid, kiddo who's not having the best day is I, if I can get him to work well for five minutes and then give him a break. Um, right. I, I, you can't expect them on a bad day to, um, to sit and attend if it's just not their day. Um, Right. So, you know, and then bring them back into the group after they've had a three minute little break with that reinforcer, Um, bring them back. That's some of the things that I do. And like I said, if I see that, you know, um, the one of the things I really like about my books is you can flip forward to most of the pages, even if a book is, um, say, uh, 23 pages, and maybe it's a day where you're just not going to keep the attention of all the kids. Most of the books can be, you can skip through without even missing a beat. So maybe if it's a day where I need a shorter story, I'll just flip through some of those pages and we won't go through every single thing. Um, maybe we'll go through five pages. Uh, so that's, that's some of the things that I do when I know that, you know, there's some behaviors coming up. So I think that's huge. I think that's huge for kids. I bet another thing you do is if you're having a kid who's who's new or that you uh, know for whatever reason um, it's you just need to kind of think on your feet there, don't you ever modify your material so that you get something you know that kid likes because it's oh, going to be yeah. easier to keep his or her attention that way? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you're always going to want to find something that not only that they like, but something that you know you're going to get success out of that way when they're successful then they're going to want to attend more and and they're going to want to do the next thing so yeah you're not going to want to try to teach a new concept on a kid who's you know having one of those days where they do have once in a while and and you know they're they're so I mean they're such little sweeties and you want to you want them to be successful and and you want to make sure that you know you adapt to whatever they need for that day. So absolutely. Exactly. And I've, I've told parents this summer, especially, I had a family that I'm working with, that they went away on a 10-day vacation, and last week was their first day back. And so we were scheduled to do the session the very next day, and they didn't get home until like 10 that night. So I said to mom, uh, we need to reschedule, because I, can, <laughs> I don't have to come there to know that that's not going to be a good day. And then on mm-hmm. that, so I saw him a couple of days later, and I, she said, well, we haven't really added anything new. And she was, I thought she was going to be disappointed about that. And just as I was about to jump in and say, but, and she did it for me, she said, but we didn't lose anything either. We are still doing the same things. I'm still able to keep him with me. His participation is still good, you know, through whatever activity she's telling me about. She said, and I think uh-huh. I need to just be excited about that. And I love that that That's mom identified that. Yes, that sometimes maintenance is your biggest goal, especially for a kid who's on the spectrum, who's been away from his home for 10 days, totally out of his routine, with people he doesn't see very often. 
you know, seven or eight hours in the car <laughs> on two different days. That's huge for their little systems. And so to be able to come back home and not have regressed or lost anything, that was fantastic. And so we have to be sure that we're thinking mm -hmm. about that. Not every day is going to be the very best day of a kid's life, and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, uh, one of the things that I that I do have the um, privilege of being able to see is when I work the summer school programs, a lot of times I get to see the, the kids that I worked with um, four or five years later in the upper grades, and, and I can wow. see the the growth and you know touches my heart so much that I knew where they came from and and wow. how much they've they've grown and so yeah you're right sometimes it is just about maintenance and and little steps but they're absorbing all of that and and uh, you know down the road the successes will be you'll see them so and that reminds me of a story and I'm going to share this too today I got a message from a mom. I don't do Facebook all the time anymore because my husband really did finally convince me that I was device addicted, and he was right, and I was that was a big time drain for me. So I don't do those social media things with the frequency that I used to, but today I got a message from a mom, and she sent it to me on her little boy's first day of high school, and I treated him <laughs> when he was two and three, turning three, mm -hmm. And so she was telling me he was a little guy who never was officially diagnosed with autism, but so borderline. He was echolalic at two. He had a hard time with receptive language. He had some big um, sensory challenges that made his behavior really uh, something that we had to deal with. And he had a big team of therapists. I wasn't the only person that saw him, but she thanked her therapist, and she said, you know, this is a real success story for me. He's going to regular high school. She was talking about his academic achievements. And it was just so nice to be able to see, like you're talking about, Monet, that down the road, kids really do mm -hmm. do different. And we have to keep just pouring yeah. information in there. You know, we're going to meet them where they are and certainly do what they need and what's developmentally appropriate. But we always have to know mm -hmm. most kids get better. Even kids who have significant mm -hmm. delays, disorders, any of them, most kids, most of them make progress. They look different down the road. And so we have to just mm -hmm. keep trudging along, knowing that what we're doing for them when they're two and three and four and five is impacting them. A different outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, a big, mm -hmm. big, big difference. Okay, yeah, in our last absolutely. five minutes, Monday, what? What have you not? What have you? What do you want to say that you haven't gotten to say in our last five minutes? I, I just um, my biggest thing is it, we're all educators for for these kiddos. Um, parents at home, um, we're we're all team members together. Sometimes uh, I support them. Sometimes they support me. And just knowing that you know whatever I'm trying to teach them that that the force it at home or whatever the parent wants them to to learn that you know I'm trying to reinforce it at school th that's that's where we're going to see success having the parents working with um, all the therapists um, and just knowing that make it fun I mean kids are kids and and they know when you know when you're having a good time 
and they're having a good time and just go with it. Um, you're going to get the language out of them. Like I said, I, I, the kids that I work with, I see, I see growth every single day with them. And um, it's just uh, such a privilege to be able to even work with the group of kids that I work with. And, and I love it. It's the best job that I could ask for. <laughs> so. And that's how I feel about what we do too. I love it, love it, love it. Still can't believe most days that I get paid to do it because it's always mm-hmm. fun. And I always try to talk to therapists about that. When I meet therapists who seem like they're a little bit stuck or they're just down about, you know, what's going on, I always say, you can make a big difference here and just kind of shifting mm-hmm. your attitude a little bit and, and deciding that your only goal today is going to be to have fun with every single kid and family that you see. Don't think about the other stuff. Don't think about the ISSP goals or IEP goals. Just think my primary focus here today is to have fun mm-hmm. and the language the other things will just fall into place, and I love yeah, your mind. Yeah, and kids, those kids are kids; they want they want to have fun. Yeah, and the and the goals you'll see when you're having that fun, you'll be meeting those goals. You really will. So yeah, but um, your instincts will kick in, and you'll be able to do it. You'll be able to figure out a way mm-hmm. to do it. Okay, so tell us for um, those of us who are interested how to get your uh, little books because you've done the work for this for people who like things that are ready made and ready to go. You've got your great series of books here. The pages are laminated. Let's talk about that, right? Or they're not. They everybody needs to laminate them because they download. Them. Yeah. Like, tell us, I'm messing yeah. it up, Mona. You just take over and <laughs> tell about how they can get your books. <laughs> so right now I have um, about. Um, 90, 91 books on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, so if you go there and you put in um, Monet's Speech and Language House, um, since I'm the only Monet, probably if you put Monet in, it would pop up. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the you what you do is you download the books. They're very, very, very affordable. Download the books. You can buy a little laminating machine for, for um, like $70 at Walmart. And the little laminating uh, sheets, I think you can get like one or 200 for like $20. Uh, you Listen, can laminate a bought, lot of books. <laughs> I just bought a really cheap laminator because I could not find mine on the day that I needed it. And it was easier for me to go to the store and buy a new one than to dig through all this stuff. I bought one. I want to say it was like thirty nine ninety nine, And it's not the top. Oh, good. You know, yeah, it was cheap. And that with a family this summer and again it's cheap enough for me to be okay leaving it with them and you know this is fabulous mm-hmm. family I know I'll get it back but sometimes parents, uh, therapists are kind of worried about that you know they think I don't want to make this big investment if I'm not going to be able to get it back right this mom was laminated all of her own text pictures because she had the tool to be able to do it and so it really helped her kind of buy in because I said here's the mm-hmm. laminator here, here are the sheets but you do and laminating mm-hmm. them and cutting them. And let me just say, too, um, I, this particular little guy that I'm working with, I'm using a really similar technique to the things that you're doing, but he's not to the level that he would attend to a book yet. So how I'm using 
books and uh, just traditional books, that, and I have a Therapy Tip of the Week about this that I'm going to attach to today's podcast where we've just laminated pictures from traditional books. And his goal right now, he is a really kind of an own agenda kid. He doesn't like traditional toys. He doesn't get play. But this summer we've done mm-hmm. a lot of teaching him with that book. He likes to pull the picture that I've copied and and stuck to the picture on a page, he will pull the picture off and put it in a box. And Mm -hmm. he'll do that now for five minutes. And this is a kid who before had about a 10-second attention span. So his parents are thrilled that over the course of four weeks that, that he's learned to do that. It's an activity that they're able to do with him at home. It's not just something that's confined to a therapy session. They've been able, because they got that initial attention with books, we're doing some things with taking toys apart. He's now taking pieces out of a puzzle. He's just in the last week learned, hey, it's kind of fun to put the pieces back in the puzzle in the right way too. And so you can take, you can, for a kid who's not ready for your books yet, Mona, you can back up and walk them forward. So for this little guy, my goal for him for the fall is going to be to move him toward these books that are a little bit more of yours that are more language focused. But I wouldn't have been able to start with like uh, an activity like that because he just wasn't ready. So we have to figure out mm-hmm. where kids are developmentally and kind of <laughs> move up and back based on that. But it's it's a fantastic yes. tool, and I'm so glad that you uh, shared that with us today. And again, you know, you were talking about how affordable they are. Most of your books are just like three and four books, three and four bucks, correct? Like three dollars and fifty cents, right? Yeah, like uh huh. And there's some that are two dollars. Um, so I wanted to make it affordable so that parents can, um, you know, get the books as well. Um, and I also have a a little blog that I just started. It's it's monets.wordpress.com and on there it uh-huh. shows about the puppets it shows about the laminating it shows about the velcro and and how to put the books together and, and all of that and and i'm gonna probably be adding to to that blog a couple of times a week showing you know different activities that i use with different books so it'll it'll be a lot of information that i'll that i'll start putting on there starting next week when school starts so that's good okay so tell us that Tell us the blog again because this is what I've done. I've, if if you have been driving while you're listening to the show or doing your dishes or exercising and you haven't been able to stop to write this information down, you can go to teachmetotalk.com. About halfway down the page, there's a banner where the podcast, the most current podcast, is listed. So even if you're listening, you know, months from now for when we've done this show live today, you can still click on the most current show and it'll take you to the page of shows where you can previous ones and access the information. And I have the link to Monet's uh, TPT store here so you can not have to search for her site. You can just get it straight from teachmetotalk.com. And Monet, give me the name of your blog again so I can include that on this post. Uh, It is monetsbooks.wordpress.com. Okay, so any um, Monet's book, so M-O-N-A-E-S books.com, dot, did you say WordPress? Dot WordPress.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And it's super, super easy and, and parent-friendly, um, educator-friendly. It's, it's, you know, just what I do and the materials that I, that I use. So um, 
yeah, just like really helpful. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I'm putting that on the website. Um, so, and I hope that mm-hmm. you'll um, have some folks that pop on over there, Monet, and and take advantage of all the work that you've already done and get your stuff. Thanks so much for joining us today. You've been a fabulous guest, and I'd love to have you back. So when you have a when you have the successes this fall as you're beginning school and you think, oh, that would be a good thing to talk about on Laura's show, I hope that you'll email me and we can have you back to talk about that. Oh, I'd love it. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you very much. I, I Thank just, you. The energy between you, I feel it. So I, I love it. Me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks so Thanks. much. Thanks so Thank much. you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I'm going to get a quick plug-in that I didn't get to mention. This is the beginning of the show. I have a new ebook. This is I almost called it How I Spent My Summer because it's what I did almost every day of the summer. wrote a new ebook for parents and professionals called Is It Autism? Helping Parents Understand Autism Spectrum Disorder. And so if you're a parent and you're wondering, gosh, I don't know, I'm feeling like this is more than like talking, I have a way for you to... Come to that conclusion yourself, and you can read the official diagnostic criteria and tease out for yourself. And the best part about that book is I have compiled parent reports or things that parents have said to me in over 20 years of practice with toddlers, and so I I think you'll like it. I'm getting great feedback from parents who've said, gosh, this really, really helped me understand autism. I had a therapist last week say, this helped me get my head around autism better than anything else I've ever read uh, about it. So I hope that you'll um, pop on teachmetotalk.com. Look for the little green and blue picture of the book. And again, it's called Is It Autism? All right, that's all for today. Hey, the podcast is going to be back every week. Woo-hoo! at 1 o'clock for our new show. Have a great day. Bye-bye.